0: Well, we uh, we left off the last time. Boy, it's the end of the year already. Wow. It's been a long time. I mean, uh, it's been a long year, it seems like, but now it seems like it's been so short. But we were we we're still in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are almost at the end of our study in the book. I think uh, probably, uh, if, depending on how far we go tonight, next week or the week after, for sure, we'll be done with the book of Ecclesiastes. So, um, But we were going through the, the ten vanities, and we already covered... Um, Science and the, and the laws of nature in, 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 as, uh, as Solomon was running his scientific experiment here to find the meaning of life. We went through wisdom and philosophy, uh, seeking pleasure and seeing if that would fulfill the meaning of life, materialism, living for now. We talked about fatalism, egoism, religion. And religion is a big one. A lot of people rely on religion. Even now, today, more than ever, I think there's so many religious people that are looking for some meaning and they're, at the end... It's meaningless um, and tonight we're going to actually go into the eighth of the tenth of, of actually well there's nine of it the tenth is, is the conclusion but the eighth which is wealth what is the meaning of wealth and is it something that um, we should shoot for is it is, is wealth necessarily evil is wealth required is it is it good is it something we should actually look forward to what does ne- wealth necessarily sweeten our lives um, so that's what we're going to look at tonight as well. So if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1, actually, we're going to, it, we're going to start in verse 10. And let me just get my notes ready here. And uh, actually, I think we started this a little bit last time, so this is going be a little bit of a review, but not by much. All right, wealth. Um, and it says here in, in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, and it's inter- inter- actually I started at verse 9. It's an interesting point, and it says here, Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. And you know where in, in Scripture, and this, this made me think of this, where it says, you know, that the, the rain, you know, God gives the rain to the just as well as the unjust. And so the prophet of the earth is for all. In God's mercy and His grace, He gives us all provision. Um, so it says here, Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field and in all a king is an advantage to a land with cultivated fields so what it's saying here is that even the king himself relies on the earth to to for sustenance for himself and his kingdom and it says that the the, uh, the that a king is an advantage to a land with cultivated fields meaning that you also have to have a good form of government because otherwise the, the land will be will be used wrongly and of course there'll be theft and all that kind of stuff so it's, i think it's a good introduction to wealth so Since God has given us this great green earth and 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 the wealth thereof um, Wealth is not necessarily wrong itself as a matter of fact God himself says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills God is wealthy. There's nothing wrong with it. And if you remember even for Solomon remember back in the in the beginning of all of this when God sets Solomon as king over Israel after his father David and he says to Solomon tell me what you want Tell me what you what would be a desire of your heart now, of course if he would have asked me that, I might have had a different answer. <laughs> but Solomon had the correct answer. He said, "I want wisdom to, because without godly wisdom, I could not rule over these people." So, what did God say in response to that? He said, "Not only is it good that this is, it's this not, is what not is that me? Like Hold on. Oh, it's an old buddy of mine I used to work with. It's a voicemail." So. Um, Anyway, I thought that was something like a timer of yours that went off a little early. <laughs> 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 nope, I still have 55 minutes. You trusting? You're trusting so you gotta see, that's good. You trusting me? That's good. <laughs> for the moment. For the moment. <laughs> for 55 minutes and 43 seconds, you can trust me. Um, but anyway, so when when God was, was commending Solomon for that choice, He also said, "And because you asked for the most important thing, I will also give you." All of this wealth. I will give you. And and he did. I mean, really, if you think about it, Solomon's reign was one of the longest times of peace and prosperity for that nation, right? So, wealth in itself is not wrong. It is the love of it, the deep desire for gaining it, and the emotional attachment to living to increase it. And that is destructive. And it isn't amazing how that is where we are. I mean, I think throughout most of history, people have thought pursuing wealth. And so obviously, it's probably a good topic for, for Solomon to pursue, and especially he had it. And he actually used this wealth to fund, if you will, all of this experimentation that is given to us in this book. Remember, he said in the beginning of this book, I set my heart I, I, to, 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 to finding these things out. He says, I withheld nothing from myself. He, he withheld nothing in his experimentation here. So I'm gonna uh, if just take a side note here. If you go to First Timothy ver, uh, chapter six, verses I six to eleven. You, yeah, sure. Was money actually the thing that made him fall? No, well, it wasn't. Women. Well, it was it was it was <laughs> the lust of everything. I mean, he already had wealth, but it was his yeah the lust of the eyes, right? Which, by the way, he does talk about in here. Um, yeah, and, and, and those women lured him away to foreign gods. And he wasn't the only one who had that problem. If you think about it, wasn't that Adam's problem? Yeah. I mean, Eve was the first. Sorry, go ahead. It's always the women. It's always the women. <laughs> I agree with. Excuse me. <laughs> I, wait a minute. How many women are here tonight? I can get beaten up pretty. He said it, not me. <laughs> um, but that. Having said that, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So you talk about gain. Godliness with contentment is, is not only good, but he's saying here, it's great gain. I mean, really, as Christians, this is our our... Well, since we became Christians, since we understood the truth when there was a time when I know I didn't, and I pursued those worldly things now don't isn't it amazing how really we can connect with that statement because i think hopefully we as christians are pursuing more godliness in our lives more of his word to become trained in godliness right um and and learning to be and and i know i'm seeing it and again you know and i'm not wealthy but we have enough we're all sitting here have enough but there are plenty of people who we know who are christian in other nations who do not have enough and not only that There are Christians who we know are being persecuted they have nothing and they're being actively sought out and yet they have contentment and and remember I I think what dovetails with this uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain what does Christ promise those who are his and pursue and obey him the peace that transcends all understanding I mean I equate peace with contentment and contentment with peace because and it, we'll see, I think, in Proverbs and other places. I, I think I have it written here in another Scripture. But um, you know, better is a little, and with and to be able to fold your hands and sleep at night, than a lot and to worry. You know, there are pl- there are plenty of people. I mean, you 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 realize that, right? There are plenty of people with with great possessions, but they're always worried about uh, losing them in a stock market crash or or uh, thieves breaking in and stealing uh, or, or the. You know always worried about the keeping what they have you know the less you have the less you got to worry about keeping isn't it true I mean well actually you're a good case in point in that aren't you Felicia I mean with with the businesses you've had and and the, and the wealth you had yeah. you know I mean it, sure you you, you you may be in a position now where you never thought you'd be in not never. that you're dirt poor but but, but you more have more than now you, more you're content now than yeah. True. yeah yeah you don't I you mean, can the sleep hope at night that you have in the, in the uh, it's it's but you're gaining wisdom daily. Amen. That's right. Especially when you when you are in the Word of God, you are you are gaining daily you're yeah. gaining wisdom. And the Lord makes you see all these things. And that's the peace that transcends all understanding. I mean yeah. you know, you And need and it. the desire for it is not wrong. Like the desire to be married, the desire to have children, yeah. the desire for things that you may for some reason never even have. That's not the point. The point is to be content and so I think that, so we all agree. I mean, look, even in our lives, we see it reflected here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Which leads me to think also, just as a side note, that there is a form of godliness but without contentment, which then would not be great gain. Right? And you know that Scripture says that there are people that have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof and we can think of you know the 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 scripture isn't exactly clear on exactly what that statement means but I can think of religion as a form of godliness being human is a form of godliness I mean we're made after God's in in own image whether we're his or not so there's always these forms of godliness but denying the power of that because we don't want it or we don't realize but whatever there's no contentment in just without God and, and that's what you're saying and I agree so verse 7 in 1 Timothy chapter 6, <clears throat> 4, and he's qualifying this statement now, for we brought nothing into this world. <laughs> That's for sure. And it is certain we carry nothing out. That's words of wisdom right there. I mean, if, if most people would stop and just think of that, it would be a, a mindset changer, wouldn't it? Naked I came into this world, and naked I leave. <laughs> it's only what we send up, you know, as, yeah. as you working out on Saeby. They bury the Indians in, in Colombia. Yeah. I mean, all their possessions have to go in the, you know, the casket with them. Yeah, they did it in, in ancient Egypt, right? How many times have they uh, unearthed sepulchers and things, right, they where they've they had all, they all of these they come back to life again and they yeah. have all their possessions. Yeah. With them. Well, have you seen where they've had the burial t- uh, chambers and they have found, you know, either th- thousands of clay statues or worse, actual people who were murdered, servants who were murdered along with the king to serve them in the afterlife. I mean, that's what the occult is based on, and it's very dangerous, very dangerous. Um, but listen to this. So verse 8, um, having food and raiment or clothing, let us be there with content. That's pretty good, right? But they that will be rich or want to be rich or will to be rich or live for that being wealthy fall into temptation and a snare or a trap and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, isn't that, I hate to say it, but it started with Eve, right? And the serpent knew, Satan, through the serpent, knew exactly where to hit them. And the big lie, how many times have we said this and we see it now, right? More than ever. You shall not surely die and you shall be as God. Isn't that a major driving force? Isn't that where technology is meant? How many times have we discussed where everything's being led into extending this physical life, right? And in the book of Revelation, it's going to get to the point where men will seek death and will not find it. So how far are they going to go with this? That's why we have to have a resurrected body. It is amazing. This is another topic, the, the actual the part of the resurrection. Why? There's a need for a resurrected body. We should talk about that ad nauseum sometime. I mean, because the more I personally have looked into that and why. I mean, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But yet you don't get this resurrected body until the, the time after the rapture. Right. And remember, the dead in Christ already at that time, as opposed to those of us who may still be here living in these physical bodies, they get the honor of resurrecting first. Having died in Christ first, and they get their resurrected bodies first, and 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 then we who are alive will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And by the way, we comfort each other with these words, right? But to me, that's a staggering thought. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. Jesus has a permanent new body. He came as man and and God, a a a being which never existed before and never will exist again. But he's the first fruits. Of gaining a body that he still has. That's a resurrected body, which he never had before, as the word. That, that, that's staggering, but I don't want to get off into a tangent because my time is still going. <laughs> <laughs> so he says uh, in verse 10 For the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money, which, the root of all evil, which, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Hmm, how about those maker churches? How about those churches that live to be wealthy and they're, <laughs> they're earn from the faith, right? We know about that. Yeah, and you can know a lot about a ministry uh, based on the leadership on how they handle their success. You're right. Amen, and that's right. So by their fruits you shall know them. I agree. I agree. That's a very good judge. That's a, and really that's a, that's an that's exactly I think what he's talking about here. For for which while have some some have covered it after they have erred from the faith and it says, although maybe some of those pastors and so forth are not f- thinking they're feeling it now, they will. Because the rest of that verse says, "And pierced, pierced themselves through with many sorrows." You know they're heaping up all of this for for either now or later. But here's the here's the end of the matter right here in in First Timothy chapter six, in that in that in those set of that set of verses. But you, O man of God, so you know he's talking to us right specifically. Flee these things. He's not giving this advice to those who are not of God in truth. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Hmm. So, and the reason why I put these scripture here, these scriptures here is again, it, it's so nice to be able to dovetail. You can go, you can read something in Scripture like we just read in Ecclesiastes and find an exact- and we're going to do that more as we go along here tonight. We're going to find exact duplicates of the exact same thing centuries later or centuries before by different people it's amazing how God's word is absolutely consistent and and it, it, so you can trust what he says i mean it's wonderful let's go to proverbs chapter 1 verses 17 through 19 proverbs chapter 1 verses 17 uh, through 19 surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. I mean, if the bird sees the trap, they're not going to step into it, right? I mean, even even birds who don't have the wisdom of a man would see a snare and probably avoid it. And surely they lay in wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives, these people who lay this kind of snare. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which takes away the life of the owners thereof. So gain... Without godliness and contentment, which is the great gain, and being okay with what God provides you in this life, is <laughs> when, when they finally get what they think they're going to get, they will take away their own lives. And that's what it says. In the, in, in the other verses we read, a c- couple of hundred years or so, well actually, two, five, four or five hundred years later in Timothy, they pierce themselves through. It's the same exact thing. Um, I'm going to go to also now to Isaiah 58. Uh, Isaiah 58 uh, let's go through chapter uh, verse 9 through 12 Isaiah I'm sorry Isaiah 56 verses 9 through 12 all you beasts of the field come to devour yes all beasts in the forest his watchmen are blind meaning his meaning Israel because he's now he's talking to Israel his watchmen are blind they are all ignorant they are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, laying down, loving to slumber. By the way, this applies to the watchmen of today, which you actually were just talking about. These fake pastors, these wayward shepherds, right? So Israel's the example, but it says by, through their example, like we learn. So that's what you can, when it says his, we know he means Israel, but by extension, those wayward pastors of today. So his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. Ah, there's the telltale sign right there. And they are shepherds, ah, that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter, or from his place of abode. Come you, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and even much more abundant. That's the wealth and health gospel, isn't it? Come follow me. Israel had prophets that said, nothing bad's going to happen to you. Keep going the way you're going. We have our prophets today. And why do they say it? For their benefit. So they can keep you coming back to give them money. And in the New Testament, the people who actually do that and and succumb to them are also just as guilty. Because it says that these people have itching ears and they heap to themselves, right? Teachers who tell them what they want to hear. So you see, this is a dance. This is a samba, isn't it? So we're seeing one half of the equation here. In Israel's wayward prophets by extension our own shepherds of today our pastors and so forth in these these wayward churches and there's more and more of them Um, but we also see that there are people you know you can you can have a great act but if nobody wants to see your act you're not gonna make any money so isn't it incumbent on the audience to be just as guilty in this sin (laughs) that's what I'm getting out of it but anyway You can see it's based on greed. And say, come on, just follow me. We'll we'll, we'll get wine. We'll fill ourselves with strong drink. Or how about this? We'll get scripture. We'll get the Bible. We'll get all of these things that that sound great. We'll, We'll take scripture out of context. We'll clean the windows for you. Whatever it takes. We'll have parties, potlucks. We'll have socials. We'll do everything in unity. And if we do this... We will make today great and tomorrow will even be better. I don't want to hear anything about prophecy. I don't want to see what's going on around me. Oh, something bad? Don't worry about it. The Lord's got it. The Lord's got you back. That's what they were saying to Israel. And that's all a stem from greed, which now we'll go back it's with these scriptural examples to how this is piercing ourselves or anybody involved through with many sorrows is the greed of gain. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and continue in verse 10. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. So it says here, continuing from the thought, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with gain. This is also vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility. When goods increase, they who eat them increase also. <laughs> you never notice when you have more people or there's more people to take what you have or want something from you. And what gain is there to their owner except to see them with his own eyes? Ah, this, this alludes to what I was saying before about sleep. And this is one of the, it says this multiple times in scripture. I forgot exactly where else it says it, but here's one of the places in verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eats a little or much, but the fullness of the rich will not let him sleep. It's that same concept, right? If you have too much, it's very difficult to sleep because you're worried about it all the time because that's where your heart is, right? There is a serious and severe evil which I have seen under the sun. This is verse 13. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment. You can keep your fingers there. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures from the Old (coughs) Testament and the New Testament, which which amplify this. If you want to go there, I'll just read them, but I've got to go quickly here. My timer is still going good, but I'm doing good tonight. So just remember the premise of verse 13 here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And he's actually stating this here. I mean, there is a serious and severe evil. Hmm. So, Solomon's saying this is really heavy duty stuff. This is not something that he's taking lightly here, which I have observed or seen under the sun. And what is that? Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. Hmm, that's interesting. So, riches can hurt someone. Let's look at this. So, here's um, some side notes I made here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. This is just this one verse from Proverbs withhold not good from them whom it is due when it is in the power in your hand to do it So what what he's saying is if you if you kept riches if you keep them and heap them to yourselves This is talking about being miserly. So it's not just having the wealth and gaining it We talked about that before the greed and and the intent of the heart to gain wealth is one thing but what you do with it once you have it whether it's God-given or you gained it yourself it says here you keep it they keep it to their own hurt right it's like when the Holy Spirit is is, is um, uh, related to living water right and if you look at the Old Testament on the Old Testament I mean in, in the old Israel days and we learned some of this uh, when we went to Israel it's interesting that even the old ways that they used to do things like with the bats and, and the mikvahs and everything they used to have running water they had living water had it had had to be moving okay and that is the whole thing with anything with possessions with the holy spirit if i have something and it's like the buck stops here that's not a good thing it's not a good thing unless we're talking about responsibility but if i have wealth or if i have something a gift from god that i can use to share or you or me or anybody right or something If I do not let it flow through me and out of me to do somebody else some good, it's to my own hurt. And so this is the amplifying of that point, which he's making here in Ecclesiastes. So withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do it. That means if I have something, if I don't have it, I can't share it, right? Okay, so Ecclesiastes uh, 11, which is, I mean, we're not even talking about here. We're only in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, but I found this verse in chapter 11, verse 6. I'm just going to read it. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, withhold not thine hand, for you do not know whether which shall prosper, or what shall prosper, prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike. So it's saying here, in the morning, sow your seed, and then distribute. Don't hold your hand back. New Testament. Luke six thirty-eight, And you're all going to recognize this one. And this is Jesus' own words because it's written in red. <laughs> he says here, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And then in Luke 9, uh, in 23, Jesus again is saying and he said to them all If any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For now here's the point. For whosoever will save his life, right? Whoever gains and keeps right? shall lose it. What it says here in verse 13 of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5 riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, right? That's what he's saying. For what is a, um, okay? So whoever loses his life in my sake shall find it. For what is, a, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world, and lose himself, or be cast away? And then there's a story which you know. I'm not going to read it here. But in Acts chapter five, when Ananias and Sapphira, remember the story about them. They. Uh, sold a piece of land and they they had pledged the proceeds of all of this sale to the church and they lied and, and 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 how were they received by paul and the others not too well matter of fact god in those days used to mete out judgment directly now since those days um even though we're warned that uh, you know some people fall asleep some people are taken home early because of the way they act in you know either cheating the holy spirit or what in general but that's usually we don't know the particulars of that most of the time discipline is reserved for the church's function through the through the hierarchy through the government but in this particular instance and i think obviously as a warning that god is watching ananias and Sapphira, what did what did paul say to them he said look he goes you know before you pledged that land and the money that you, did you own it? Did anybody basically, he was saying, did anybody demand anything of you? No, they didn't. And he said also, and when you decided to sell the land, couldn't you have pledged only a certain amount of it? Basically, he's saying, you could have done with your property what you willed, but instead, you lied. So that was to your own hurt. And they died. So. So it says here, So I have seen under the sun riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. So hopefully those scriptures amplify the, the importance of that. And, and again, in verse 13, Solomon actually says, There is a serious and severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. We just had examples of that. Verse 14, But those riches are lost in a bad venture, and he becomes the father of a son, and there is nothing in his hand which, which to support the child. As the man came forth from his mother's womb, so he will go again, naked as he came, and he will take away nothing for all his labor, which he carries in hand. So basically he's saying what we said before. you came in with nothing. You're going to labor. And by the way, isn't that one of the curses of Adam? Right. To, to, and let's face it. Even though you and I don't till the ground, we still have to work pretty hard, and sometimes it's painful, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, We came in with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. And then in verse 16, he says this again. He goes, And this also is a serious and severe evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what gain has he whose labors are for the wind? And we see in other places where it says, basically, what you and I build, we're going to leave to somebody else. And he actually says later on here, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, and they, and they may, or, you know, so let's say for instance, okay, so you leave it to your, your, your progeny. You leave it to your son's daughter's relative. Let's say you, you did all of that stuff. And you're right, supposing they're irresponsible. What you worked very hard for, they may squander. Someone said that. Right, or what's worse, supposing people who have no progeny or die intestate. Then who's gonna distribute, who's gonna get your wealth? And how are you gonna know what, they, what they're gonna do with the with work you put into it? So it's all in vain, it's all laboring to the wind. Um, verse 17 all his days also he eats in darkness or cheerlessly with no sweetness and no light in them and much sorrow and sickness and wrath are his behold what I have seen to be good and fitting ha ah, this is the conclusion of the matter this is, this is going to brighten your day now after all of this depressing stuff here right verses 18 through 20 this is going to cheer you up behold what I have seen to be good and fitting is for one to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the labor in which he labors under the sun all the days which God gives him. For this is his allotted part. Verse 19. Also, every man to whom God has given riches and possessions and the power to enjoy them. Ah, you see, there's an additional thing here. And to accept his appointed lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God to him. It's very simple. very simple. In verse 20. For he shall not much remember seriously, or he won't, he won't be too critically, he won't critically remember the days of his life, and he won't look back on those days. If he lives like that, if you and I live like the way we just, you know, enjoying our labor in the allotment, and, and, and it's a gift from God not only to earn a living, whatever that living might be, to have whatever he's allotted us, but it's a gift from God to enable us to enjoy it, right? That's a gift. And if we look at it that simply, and that succinctly, um, we shall not much remember or remember too critically, like look back and say, oh, what a horrible life I lived. You know? That's what he's saying here. For he shall not remember much or much remember seriously or critically the days of his life. Why? Because God himself answers and corresponds to the joy of his heart. The tranquility of God is mirrored in him. Now, this is from the Amplified Version, which I like to use because it really does exemplify it. So I think that's that's pretty good. Let's go to chapter 6 now, verses 1 through 12. So this too is vanity, as the rich man can only eat one meal at a time, sleep on only one bed in one house at a time, and can prolong his life no longer, not one second longer than a poor man. This is the, the, the illusion of control and power because one has wealth is an illusion. And it's a very effective illusion. I mean, you think of the best magicians you have ever seen in your life, and I've seen some really good ones. Some of them, I think, a demon help to do some of the things that they do. You know, So where's the line, of, you know, the, the line of demarcation between pure prestidigitation and sleight of hand versus demon involvement and supernatural? Right, I've seen a magician who levitated himself in the middle of the street and done other things that are t- either unbelievably wonderful uh, because it's in the middle of the street, so it's not even a set stage, or there's demon possessions here. They're, they're not possession, but demon. And you know, we're seeing these miraculous things happen more and more, right? I mean, who's the, who's the best magician? Satan, he's gonna come down as an angel of light. Yeah, he's gonna be able to call down, Antichrist is gonna call down fire from heaven. So is it a trick or is it real? It's just that it's coming from the wrong source. Well. That's depending on, you know, that's in the eyes of the beholder. But so what we're saying here is that the illusion of control is an illusion. Sometimes it's very effective, but it's only an illusion. So let's see what he has to say about that in in chapter 6 and verse 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavily upon men. A man to whom God has given riches, possession, and honor, so that he lacks nothing for his soul of all that he might desire, yet God does not give him the power or capacity to enjoy them, things which are gifts from God, these things, that enjoying them, like we said before, but a stranger in whom he has no interest, even interest, succeeds him and consumes and enjoys them. That's hearkening back to what we just said, right? We can produce wealth now or leave it for someone later when we pass away. And if they're irresponsible or, like it says here, is someone in whom the, 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 the uh, provider of the wealth has no interest succeeds him? There's not even any relationship sometimes. It's like dude, someone's going to get your stuff, like the government, right? <laughs> Some, which you don't even want them to get it, and consumes and enjoys them. This is vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility, and it is a sore affliction. I can't argue with him there, but he's level setting us on possessions and wealth and what that means. Um, verse 3 in chapter 6 if a man begets a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many but there's always this but but his life is not filled with good and also he is given no burial or honors nor is laid to rest in the sepulcher of his fathers no good uh, eulogy (laughs) like that right I say that he who had an untimely birth resulting in death is better off than he you know what he's saying here? Someone who's stillborn is better off than someone who lives a life ending up like that. We're gonna, we're gonna There's another couple of good cases to point to make that point in scripture. But let me finish that. In verse four, for the untimely one, or the or the baby that is young when he dies, is, or stillborn, comes in futility and goes into darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, he, the stillborn child. He has not seen the son, nor had any knowledge. Yet he, the stillborn child, has rest rather than he who is aware of all that he has missed and all that he would not have had to suffer. But because he lived, you, don't, you, don't, you see what he's saying here? So I'm going to read you something very interesting. If you want to turn there, you can turn there. And you probably remember this when we studied the book of Job well, a number of years ago now. Right. Job chapter three. This is Now, you remember Job's plight, so I don't have to get into all of that. But just think of what Solomon just said here. And now Job, arguably, but not very (coughs) arguably, the oldest written manuscript of the the Bible, the oldest book, right, age-wise. Let's see what Job had to say about that. This is chapter 3. After this, you know, the suffering and all the things that started happening to him, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day or his birthday. And Job said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night which announced there is a man child conceived. Let that day be in darkness. May not God above regard it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it for their own, let a cloud dwell upon it, let all that blackens the day terrify it the day that I was born. As for that night that I was born, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Yet, uh, sorry, yes, let that night be solitary and barren. Let no joyful voice come into it. Let Let those curse it who curse the day, who are skilled in rousing up Leviathan. Basically what he's saying here, on my birthday, I hate the fact that I was even born so much because I'm suffering right now, right? Even those who are evil, (laughs) even those who are evil, um, let them curse that day. Verse 9 of chapter 3 in Job. Let the stars of the early dawn of that day be dark. Let the morning look in vain for the light, nor let it behold the day's dawning. Because it shut not the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow and trouble from my eyes. You see what he's saying here? If the doors would have been shut to his mother's womb, then he would not have had to experience all the things that he was experiencing. Why was I not stillborn? Why did I not give up the ghost when my mother bore me? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should suck? For when, for then would I have lain down and been quiet, just like he said here, right? The stillborn would have just laid down and not had anything. They would have never seen the day. They would have never They would have been quiet and rest. So he says, but for then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then would I have been at rest in death. Didn't we just read that in Ecclesiastes? With kings and counselors of the earth who built up now desolate ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, or why was I not a miscarriage hidden away, hidden and put away as infants, as infants who never the light. So basically he's saying, I would have rather been dead when I was born along with those who did live full lives, kings who had silver and gold and the famous ones, because you know what? The grave was the great equalizer. And for all the greatness and the pain and suffering they had, he's basically saying, I would give up any of it if I just would never have been born because I would have had to go through anything. Verse 17, There in death the wicked cease from troubling, and the weary are at rest. There the captive prisoners rest together. They hear not the taskmaster's voice any longer. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is the light of life given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter soul, or to the bitter in soul, who long and wait for death, but it comes not? By the way, doesn't that hearken forward to Revelation? When those who are evil... Who decide right now they want to have eternal life in this flesh through the occult and be as gods and and, and take that lie from Satan right and they finally achieve some kind of genetic engineering that's going to make man very difficult to die and in Revelation what does it say like I said before they're going to seek death but death will flee from them and that's not a metaphor that is a truth that is going to happen and we are so close right now in the technology to just doing doing that it's gonna be very difficult to kill somebody in those days So he's saying here who long and wait for death, but it comes not and dig for it more than hidden treasures. Imagine that who rejoice exceedingly and are elated when they find the grave. Why is the light of day given to a man who given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in and Job was hedged in for my sighing comes before my food and my groanings are poured out like water for the thing which I greatly fear comes upon me and that of which I am afraid befalls me. And if you're still born, none of that would happen, right? That's what he's saying. Last verse. I was not, or am not at ease, nor I had sorry, I was not or am not at ease, nor had I or have I rest, nor was I, or am I now quiet. Yet trouble came and still comes upon me. Now that's Job's lament, and that's all of chapter three. <laughs> so you see, I mean, in Ecclesiastes, he picks up exactly that thought, and I thought I'd, I'd share that with you, because I remembered when, we was, when, when I was studying to teach the Book of Job, when we were in, in a class together a couple a few years ago now, <laughs> Job wanted death just like this, so that but see, Job's whole life was a blessing. Right? And even in all that had happened, look at what we are able to learn from that experience. If Job were stillborn, he wouldn't, that would never have happened. Anyway, so it says, in let's go pick up um, in verse 6 of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We'll go back there. Um, even though he lives a thousand years twice over and yet has seen no good and experienced no enjoyment, Do not all go to one place, the place of the dead. All the labor of man is for his mouth, (laughs) for self-preservation and enjoyment, and yet his desire is not satisfied. So listen to this. This is a really good point. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? Being worldly wise is not the secret to happiness. What advantage has the poor man who has learned how to walk before the living publicly with men's eyes upon him, meaning... Being poor is not the secret to happiness either. You know, there are some people, like you've seen these, especially some of these Eastern religions, um, and even the monks who take a vow of silence, that being poor is sort of brings you to a higher level. I've seen some Christians that are like that. They, they, they think that they're godly because they have nothing, and they don't want anything, so they supposedly say. But isn't that in itself greed? I have, I have actually personally observed, and you may have too, people who are poor And they're more miserly with a penny than a rich man with $1,000. It's it's awful. It's awful. But this is what he's saying here. So what to do? Verse 9, chapter 6. Better is the sight of the eyes with enjoyment of what is available to one. That's the key, right? Better is the sight of the eyes or the enjoyment of what is available, what legally we can have, what we should have and what God gives us. Then the cravings of wandering desire, which means that better is, ha- is enjoying what you have that God gave you and is good, versus what's typical for human nature is always wanting what you can't have. Spock even put it in an, an opposite way, which is kind of backward, but remember Spock from Star Trek? He said, sometimes having is not so pleasing as wanting. But what he's saying here is you better reverse that. <laughs> it's not human nature. Right? And supposedly he had no emotions, but I'd say that's an emotion-filled statement, right? So basically what he's saying here is, "Better is to enjoy." And, and isn't it also says in the Bible, "Drink water from your own cistern." Is saying the same thing. I mean, look at the words of wisdom here. Um, let's see. So oh yeah, so this is also vanity, and they' striving after the wind are feeding on it. Verse nine, "For all this. See, I mean, we went pretty deep. I mean, it, it, you can see how emotionally contorting this is. We have fourteen minutes, by the way. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> I know you're probably thinking you're probably thinking it's taking longer than it has. <laughs> um. So, uh, let's move on here. Verse ten. Whatever man is, he has been named that long ago, and it is known that it is man or Adam, which means human. So what he's sa- just, just let's, let's parse what he's saying here. Whatever man is, he has been named that long ago, which means God foreknew everybody. God has already created human beings for, for the purpose he created human beings for and so forth. So he says, whatever man is, he has been named that long ago, and it is known that it is man, it, and it is known that it is man. Nor can he be contented with him, God, who is mightier than he, whether God or death. So he's basically saying man in, in the Adam state, because the, the actual word for man here is Adam and Adam is what? It means man in Hebrew. Right. So he's saying here that in his natural state, he can't be contented even with God. <laughs> he just can't be contented. There's no way to content the human being. And that's why Satan comes with a false promise. I can content you. I'll make you God. Right. That that seems to be the only thing that will content man, supposedly. Verse 11, seeing that there are all these and many other things and words that increase the emptiness, falsity, vainglory, and futility of living, what profit and what outcome is there for man? Hmm, that's a good question. After all of that, what, 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 is, the, what is the outcome of all this? What is man's place here? So he's asking this question again, but remember in verses 18 through 20, we already answered that. In reality, many times the poor man, um, and, and poor in that he's living in and for God in humble meekness for sure, um, well, he's saying in the end, poor being humble in meekness and in meekness and living for God is, is really what it is. And, and Jesus, kind of confusing it. The thought really is here, in my opinion. When Jesus said, and the meek shall inherit the earth, what he's basically saying, those who rise above human nature we just read all about human nature and the only way you can do that is to be converted by the holy spirit and it takes time it takes training but but we, we will have new natures in that resurrected body and that's a matter, as a matter of fact we know that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god because adam us is <coughs> so bad and we'd never be contented even if and i think this is partly what he's saying here even if we were given the kingdom of God in the flesh, we'd find something wrong with it. By the way, we have a poster boy for that, don't we? Satan. Satan walked among the fiery thrones in the mineral garden of God, right? He was the epitome of God's creative power. He was a beautiful musical instrument. He was perfection as far as a created being goes, right? how well did that keep him satisfied he was the first to rebel and then he took all of those others with him and human beings too so verse 12 for who limited to human wisdom knows what is good for man in his life you get the qualifier here and that's from the amplified version we read that again for who for who limited to human reasoning human wisdom can know what is good for man in his life. All the days of his vain life which he spreads, spends as a shadow going through the motions but accomplishing nothing. Who can, who can understand that? Who can define that? For who can tell a man what will happen to his work, his treasure, his plans? Who can tell you where you're going to be ending up? All the things that you've done in this life, where, like wherever you are right now, wherever I am right now, Would you have been able to predict it 10, 15, 20 years ago? When you were working hard, building your career, doing whatever it is you were doing that you'd be in the state you are, whether you're appreciative of it or not, whether it's good or not, I'm not judging that, I'm saying, who can know? Who can know the end of a man's life and what we're here for? No one in human wisdom can even understand what each of us is put here for because it's all vanity. For who can tell a man what will happen to his work, to his plans? and to his treasure under the sun after he is gone so uh, you know if you look at it i mean (laughs) that i think wraps up pretty well wealth and we cover the subject pretty well and 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 what i like obviously what we try what i try to do here and i think we all appreciate it is when you just read the scripture it's great but when you look back and forth and you really dig in and you Amplify the original, as best you can, reasonably, the original uh, languages, you know, uh, so you can get the full intent. And you go back and forth to other places. Like, look how much Job amplified that couple of verses. It'd be better to be stillborn, better to have never lived. And then we know that there are gonna, there's going to be a time when men will seek death because it's going to be a rest. And you know we was we, like, "Well okay, but, but you sound depressed, Solomon? Well, I'm sure he was. I'm sure job was pretty depressed too, and, I, and let's face it, sometimes we as human beings, we get depressed and we despair life, but it's a natural thing because we can't quantify what our lives should be. Sometimes I know it's depressing when especially as we get older or if we get <laughs> crippled or something happens and you're in the hospital or, or, or someone you love and you've admired something happens it's like they'd let you down I mean whatever it happens in life you never know and all of a sudden you're just sort of like okay I'm at a crossroads all the all the things that were coming on this road for me right that I was planning for that I was building that I had help with that I relied on people for all of a sudden something happened and now it's useless it's worthless where do I go from here and he's saying you're not gonna know it but that's why we need the scripture that's why all is vanity it sounds depressing, but it, it's wonderful when you when you read scripture because there is the hope. There is the hope. This is the, what God is so good at in in, this, in these books here, is defining the human condition, and it shows me that even He understands, and He built us. This is part of the curse. I mean, look at all we've read in the Book of Ecclesiastes so far. And I don't think we're going to stop here because we've only got seven minutes left, and the last one is morality. But but just, just amplify. I mean, it, when you think of wealth, which we're always thinking of wealth, we're always wanting to fill our mouths and, and, and filling our desires. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. We went through all of that. But look at when you're trying to find meaning, he's saying you're not going to find it. And even, what's, so, what's so ironic, but it's, it's true, it's, it's a wonderful truth, is even after you become Christian, at least I know for me, and I'm reading this, I mean, I've been a Christian a long time, and I think we all have here, you still... Don't know. You still question. Sometimes you say, Am am I doing the right things? Is is this God's plan? Is it not? Because everything that is not God's plan is futile. And now all we're trying to do is find meaning. We're still trying to find meaning. We're always trying to find meaning. That is the living soul (laughs) part, the nefesh. You know, a human being is three components, right? The physical body, right? The spirit in man, which is the living soul, okay? And then the spirit of God, which can merge with this if we accept Christ. Okay? In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was with them, with us. He actually lives with us. We become the temple of God, which is a wonderful thing, which, you know, which is the, the most meaningful part of it. So human beings without, you know, without, without the Holy Spirit is just a living soul, but the living soul is made in God's image. So that's why you know, animals don't have to grapple with meaning in life. Right? Animals never have to grapple with where their next meal is going to come. They're still carnal in that, you know, they get hungry and they want to eat something, so they may kill something, or they may look for food, or they still can have pain, they can still have depression, but they never question, that they never know that they weren't here before. They don't even question why they're here, and thankfully for them, they never know that they're going to die, either go to slaughter, or they one day not going to exist again.
1: They're you called brute... You think
0: that they don't know? They don't know. They're called brute beasts in the scripture, and, and you actually see in scripture where it's, animals are defined as, as tools uh, or as, as, as required for sustaining life and sustaining the ecosystem. And, and of course, they were used in sacrifices as, because they have blood, and blood needs to be shed for a sacrifice. And, but you notice humans are not to be sacrificed, right? Why? Because if you look at the end of the day, we're still made of flesh and bone like the animals, but humans are different. That's why when Abraham you know, was told to sacrifice Isaac, God, of course, never intended him to sacrifice a human being, but God took a ram. And, and how many hundreds and thousands and thousands in the temple liturgy were doves and, and goats and rams and bulls and bullocks and blood flowed. Blood used to flow into the valley below, right? continuously, because, because animals are brute beast. So my point is, if you look in the New Testament, and this is the point. We'll wrap up here because this is important. God calls the false pastors, the false teachers, like we just talked about here in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, the false prophets. He says that they are equivalent to brute beasts and they're only good enough to be led to the slaughter and destroyed like an animal. <laughs> it's pretty heavy stuff. So you can see that animals are not designed to have a relationship with God. They're not really designed to have relationships with humans other than to be our companions and to also be tools like horses and camels and, and they can do things that you know to help us and to be our companions. But you know, you can't, that's why we can't marry a cat or a dog. You can't have that kind of relationship with an animal. And unfortunately, there are human beings who are going to be treated like that, who are not of God in Christ. And that's what awaits them. And it says, brute peace. So that, that's the answer to your question. They, they don't know because they're, they're not built to do anything. Matter of fact, last point. It just came to me. When we studied the book of Job, remember Job? He asked Job those, I think there's 66 questions. How many are there? 60-something questions he asked Job. Remember? There are. There's 60-something questions. He says, Job, where were you when I did this? Were you here? Can you lead the bear out with her cubs? He's already talking about the constellations and, and uh, you know, uh, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor in, the, in that instance, and, and he talks about Orion, I mean, so he's talking to Job, and, and he says, I created the Leviathan, you know, the, the, these, the, the, the horse, and he, he, he's, God admires his own creation, he says the strength in the horse and all these things, and he actually goes to the ostrich, and he actually says, and this is to the point of a brute beast, he says, I wish I could find it, I, I'm going to have to look it up in the scripture. I don't have time right now, we've got three minutes, but he says, that and, and I have denied her wisdom that all she can do is basically lay an egg and bury it and she forgets where she even buried it. Because I have designed her not to be any smarter than that. Do you, remember what, do you know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's why we, we look at this thing and we say, wow, the, the difference between humans and animals and, and the, the, what we are. Having the form of godliness but denying its power can be looked upon as human beings who are built in God's image but denying that power, and they're going to be, in the end of the day, treated like brute beasts. What do you think hell is going to be? <laughs> so, you, did you find it? <coughs> can you read it? Well, just to context, wrap context around that part there. Amen. Isn't that interesting? So even God and, and we all realize how animals can be pretty cruel to their own young. Sometimes they eat them. So why why would God allow an animal to eat its young? I mean, doesn't isn't there any compassion? No, because God didn't design them that way. Who are we to question that? But as human beings, at least, can question that. Another animal doesn't look at that animal and say, "Boy, you're cruel." <laughs> So anyway, um, next time we meet, which hopefully will be next Tuesday, unless uh, anybody's got any problems, we'll, t- we'll go into morality. I think that's we'll finish up. What we're going to do, like I said, I think it'll be a good uh, a good thing to do, um, is look in First and Second Kings, just to get a, a brief history on Solomon, um, his rise to, because there is a story about him, and, and I think even though most of us know that he came to no good end, just to have a little bit of a of a. A wrapper around all of this, say what, what this man was, and, and just briefly what, how he became to his end. And as just a, a polish up. Just by reading Solomon, we learned so much. Right. And yet, look at the ignominious end he came to. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Anyway, All right. I'm done.